life as I do. There are times I get into a book like Leviticus and I think, hmm, that's interesting. And then I get into a psalm like Psalm 19 and I feel, boy, I can feel the endorphins on that one. Didn't that feel good? Didn't that, wasn't that good to your mind, what we just saw up there? I hope it was. Well, for those of you who were here last week and maybe you went through a storm, how many of you were like this? Look at the picture. <laughs> uh, I hope you were. In fact, a Facebook friend of mine from Old North posted that, and there's all kinds of people responding to that. And I hope you were like that if you had a storm this past week. Uh, how many of you were like this? <laughs> I hope you were, because if you're like that, you got beat up by the storm, and I don't want that to happen to you. For those of you who were not here last week, uh, I preached on facing the storms. As we ended the service, we talked about being eagles and rising up. I was in a storm. I'm still in a storm. And, and you are in storms, many of you. To be like the eagle and not be like the chicken and, and get beat up down there. And, and I was thinking about how the beauty of Isaiah 40 and verse 31 is that how we might mount up with wings like eagles. And that is my prayer for you if you are in a storm today. Well, today I'm going to preach a sermon I tried to preach three times before. It's a sermon on my heart for the church, especially as we're in 2014. What would I like to see as your pastor for 2014? This is where I'm going to be today, and this is my heart, and I just want you to hopefully resonate with me all the way through, and you'll catch the vision I have for 2014 at Old North. I have six grandchildren I love dearly. They are ranging from ages three to 10. And my youngest is Elizabeth. And she was a preemie. She was in the neonatal unit for seven weeks and how happy we were the day she came home. But then uh, along with our daughter, we noticed that uh, she wasn't keeping up, that she wasn't uh, growing like she should, that there were challenges that we had noticed. So finally, Rachel took Elizabeth, Lizzie, to the doctor, and he came up with this diagnosis I had never heard before. The diagnosis was failure to thrive. Failure to thrive. I thought, hmm. So there were all kinds of children that were making progress, but she wasn't making progress like the other children. And so we had to do some things that were remedial. You know, if we didn't do anything about the failure to thrive, that was a threat to her well-being. Could it be a threat to her life? Well, you know, being a pastor, my mind goes in other places other than what currently might be the situation where she was failure to thrive. All of a sudden, when I heard that, I thought to myself, that's the diagnosis for the church in America. Most churches in America are not thriving. They're not reaching their potential as healthy, growing people. They're a church full of underdeveloped babies when they ought to be maturing and being growing adults. But you know, that's not new. The Apostle Paul talked to the Corinthian church about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and he said, I love his directness to the church. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. He was saying, you've got a diagnosis. You're failing to thrive. You ought to be more adult by now, but you're still like a bunch of kids. And you know, as I look across America today, I see that perhaps the number one problem in the church is a failure to thrive, and it's really bad out there. And I don't want Old North to ever have that diagnosis, failure to thrive. 
That is my heart. I want you to be a church that's growing according to New Testament standards. And so my heart is to turn over Old North Church to the next senior pastor and say, this is a bunch of thriving, growing, maturing, healthy people in this church. Amen? That's what we want to see happen. Yes. Well, this matter of a thriving church is the thrust of our passage today in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. So, in honor of the word, I'd like you to stand as I read this, and then I'm going to deal with this passage of Scripture. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may be seated. That's the answer to a church that thrives spiritually, that is the answer to a church that is failing to thrive spiritually. And as pastors and as elders of Old North Church, I want more than anything else that Old North Church be a thriving spiritual congregation. Now for me, this desire goes back to last July when I found out that I would be the interim senior pastor here at Old North Church. The Lord laid something on my heart, and every once in a while I'll say the Lord said to me, don't, don't think I'm, you know, hearing audible sounds and everything. But, you know, there are impressions that we get that come from the Word of God, and they come from our heart, that it stays there, and it focuses right on our spirit. And I wrote this down last July. It was this. My vision for Old North Church, while I'm the interim senior pastor, needs to be the people growing it's not to be about better programs and corporate plans and focusing on the institution. I never did have any plans here to come and fix things that are uh, uh, organizationally in need, although I'm sure in every church there. My plan coming in here was to see you grow spiritually. As we come to 2014, having done some work with the elders and the staff to, to get to this point, the challenge for 2014 is that all of us will be thriving in ways we never thought we could or would because the last thing I want to see at Old North is a collection of hundreds of people that all they do is come to church, sing a few songs, and go to a few ministries, and then go home, and their lives aren't changed. Lord, spare us from that. want to see the church growing. So today, in this passage, I want to look at the sense of the passage, and then I want to apply it so that you might understand how it is that you as an individual and we as a church are going to grow spiritually and thrive before the Lord. Here's the big idea of the passage that I just read. God's will for a church is that everyone grows up together spiritually so that we all reflect the likeness of Christ in our behavior. I'm going to say that again. It's so important. God's will for this church and every church is that everyone grows up together spiritually so that we all reflect the likeness of Christ in our behavior. 
This is what God has in mind for every single church, for every single believer in the church. Not some of us thriving, but all of us thriving. And I trust that this will be something that you will buy into to your very core. So how do we thrive as individuals and as a corporate church? Well, our passage gives us four conditions for thriving. The first one I'm going to spend a little bit more time on. The second one, a little bit less time. And three and four, I'm going to be out of time by then so I can just touch on that. But I can assure you in the weeks to come, there's going to be some teaching on this. Condition number one. In order to thrive spiritually, our church must have the initiators of thriving spiritual growth. There's got to be some people who are leading you into spiritual growth. And we're going to find out who those people are, who are the initiators, who are the leaders into spiritual growth. Now, this text says in verse, um, in these verses before verse 11, it's talking about uh, a shortened version of John's and Paul's teaching that when Christ ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. And when he sent the Holy Spirit, he gave certain abilities and gifts to people in the church. Now, what are these gifts that the Spirit of God gave? They are people. People who have unique abilities to minister to other people so that the church grows up. And Paul, in this text, is talking about five of many of those gifts. So when we look at the five that he calls out today, that's not the complete. But for a church to grow, you have to understand these five gifts that the Spirit, that God, Jesus Christ, that is, gave to his church. The first gift is called the apostles. That's a very definite group, the apostles. It's the 12 plus Paul who founded the church. And so just like uh, a building, you need a foundation. If you don't have a foundation, you don't have a building. They founded the church. And even though there's a gift called apostle, the gift of apostle, the office of apostle is something different here. This is what we're talking about, this gift of people that started the church to or 2,000 years ago. The second gift is called the prophets. Again, a guild of men, unique to the founding of the church. And even though there is a spiritual gift called prophecy, this is that group of men called the prophets, and they need to be distinguished from each other. But the prophets basically here were men who gave revelations from God and who told future events that were to come. So Paul mentions the function of these, first of all, the apostles, and then the prophets as those who laid the foundation of the church, Ephesians 2.20, and those who were the revelators of the mystery of Christ, Ephesians 3.5. And so the point is this. You don't have the prophets. You don't have the apostles. You don't have the church. 20, years la uh, 20 centuries later, we benefit by those gifts as though they were here today. The third gift. I'll just touch on verse 11 says, the evangelists. This is that special group of people that the Spirit of God has gifted so that when they talk about Jesus and the gospel, others hear it, and many, because of what they say, come to Christ and join into the church of Christ. And so today, we tend to call them missionaries. And there are also those who are anointed preachers who are also called evangelists. Perhaps the best known in our generation is Billy Graham. These are evangelists. But here is where the thrust of the text is in these last two gifts, verse 11. The focus today is pastors and teachers. Now, these are variously interpreted as to what this means because of the construction of the Greek. And so there are some who say that it is one person with two abilities to pastor and to teach, 
And others say there are two people, each with one ability. And so you have a pastor and you have a teacher and they are two different people. Friends, it doesn't matter what it really means as long as the function is happening in the church. And so in the church, whether it be one person who's both a, a gifted pastor and teacher or two people, one's a gifted teacher, one's a gifted pastor, those things must be happening in the church and they are gifts of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit for the church to thrive. And so it's important that we understand. Now, most of the time, the gift of teacher is understood by the church. The gift of teacher is the one who gets up and is able to open up the Word of God and give you many insights and aha moments, say, wow, that's what it means. Yeah, now I understand it, and now I also have the desire to live it. That's what a teacher does. He gets you excited about the meaning of the Word of God and that you would leave this place and you want to do it. And I hope that that gift is flowing so that you're motivated that way. The problem is that the church over the centuries has misunderstood what the pastor is all about. And today I want to clear that up and just in case there's any difficulty knowing what the pastor might be in this text. The word that's translated pastor is the word shepherd in the Greek. And this has been a great misunderstanding of the concept of shepherd over the centuries. And so what has happened is that the pastor or the shepherd has come to mean a reverend who's expected to take care of the people's needs in the church. So everybody comes to the reverend and gets help the pastor. And so even a casual study, my friends, of that definition, you won't see that in this text because it isn't in there. So we've had for centuries the idea that the pastor is the one who works with the needy and the herding sheep. And so the pastor is the one who visits me when I'm sick. And the pastor is the one who better notice when I'm absent. And the pastor is the one who counsels me when I'm hurting. And it's the pastor who uh, calls me when I need encouraging, and on and on. And we've created this extra-biblical idea that pastors do the ministry and the congregation receives the ministry. And when that doesn't happen, there are far too many people who get bent out of shape because the pastor didn't do it. Well, that idea of that kind of pastor is not a New Testament concept. That idea of a pastor is what got Moses burnt out in Exodus chapter 18. And that idea of, a, of pastors will be what makes larger churches dysfunctional. Do you know how many pastors there are in this church? There are six. Do you know how many people tend to come to this church, and, and adults and teens and children? Approximately 1,400. Is it possible for six pastors to do what people think pastors should do in the old paradigm. No, it is impossible because the pastor has a different kind of function. And as we're going to see in condition number four, the ministry of the sheep is done by the sheep. The ministry among the sheep is not done by the pastors and the teachers. And I will share that with you. So now that you know what pastors and teachers shouldn't be doing in the church, I want you to see what they should be doing in verse 12. And here it is. This is the job description of a pastor and a teacher. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. To equip the, the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And that, my friends, is the difference between a thriving church and a failure to thrive church. And I hope you're going to see this. Now, according to verse 12, 
It's the job of the pastors and teachers, the initiating leaders, to get the people into the ministry by equipping them. And I want to show you phrase by phrase what verse 12 means so that you understand that the pastors and the teachers equip or initiate the people into ministry so the sheep do the ministry among the sheep. Phrase number one. It says, to equip the saints. I cannot believe how hard it is to find a forthright interpretation of that in, in uh, commentaries and so forth. But I want to tell you what equip does not mean right out of the gate. Equip does not mean train. Does not mean train. There are all kinds of churches who bring in programs into the church. And their idea of equipping is to bring in a program and train people to run that program. Did you know back in the early church they didn't have programs? It couldn't have meant this. But what we think is that we're going to get people trained to run things. I was so happy when I found out that this church had Awana, for instance. And I think it's a great ministry. And, and I'm, I'm thrilled with what it does. Our children in Awana know more than a lot of adults about the gospel. I think it's awesome, okay? But this is not talking about starting a program like Awana and training them. Let me tell you what equip is all about. Equip means to mend and to prepare a net for fishing. Equip in the Greek means to restore something to proper use. Equip means to put something into proper condition. And so if you were a fisherman and you didn't repair your nets, what do you think you'd have in terms of success? You'd have all these kinds of fish going through your net. You need to prepare people. You need to get people into a proper condition. And this is the job of the pastor teacher. Please listen to this. It is to recognize that the saints, the believers in the church, are bruised and wounded and hurting and troubled and challenged in their lives. And when they gather together on Sundays, the teacher and the pastor brings the truth of the word of God to the hearts of the people so that the hearts of the people are healed and mended. That's what it means. You bring your net of life here and we bring the word to your net of life and we repair it. We are equipping you into health. And so part of what we do in this equipping is repair people to health in the teaching ministry of the word. But that's not where it stops. It isn't that we just get you healthy. We go to phrase two. And it says the work of ministry. The word translated ministry here comes from a Greek word, diakonos, from which we get our English word deacon, which means one who serves. And serving simply is doing good works for people around you in the church. That God has connected with you. You're going to do something good for them in the power of the Spirit. And in fact, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we were created by Jesus beforehand. That we would walk in these good works. So let's put this together. I hope you understand this. Pastors and teachers are to help mend their people through the word. So that the people who are being mended are able to engage in good works to serve those around them. In other words, it's the people on the mend who do the ministry in the flock and the pastors and the teachers are the initiators to mend the people so that they can do the ministry. Now, phrase three, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's what this is all about, that the church would grow, that the church would thrive. And so I keep coming back to this, and it will be in condition number four. It's the church 
that thrives when the pastors and teachers mend the saints who then serve others and the church grows. That's how the ministry is to be done. So I ask you, how are you digesting all of this? Does it make sense? I hope you understand that for a church to thrive, my job and the job of pastors and teachers is to initiate you into mending so that you are able to serve others in the church so that the church will grow itself up in love. That is the way things happen in growth. Which leads me then to condition number two. Condition number two is that our church must embrace the goals of a thriving spiritual growth. It's interesting here that in verse 13, the goals of growth are put right before you. And so part of my job as a pastor teacher is to lay these goals out before you and initiate you into growing into these goals because if you do, this church will grow spiritually. If you don't, we'll have a church that's failing to thrive. So what are these goals all about? Well, that first thing we run into in verse 13 is the word attain, until we all attain. It's a word about a traveler who gets to the destination. I saw someone this morning in the lobby, and they said, oh, I'm going to Texas tomorrow. And I said, where are you going? And they explained where they were going. And they're going to attain their journey tomorrow. They're going to end up in Texas and not Atlanta. And whenever we go on a journey, we want to attain. We want to arrive at our destination. And that's what Paul's talking about here, that we're going to arrive in the reality of three different goals. And if you're on a believer, if you're a believer, you are on a journey that you need to attain. And I want you to know that the only goal of a Christian is not attaining heaven. Although I want every Christian who is saved, born again, you're going to arrive at that destination. And that will be to be with the Lord forever. But you still have to live your life. And part of attaining, part of arriving, is that you grow to spiritual maturity. And so part of what you're trying to do in the journey of life is to grow up and thrive. And so there are three goals that we need to look at here. Three goals that talk about what that journey to spiritual maturity is all about. And if you're not having these three goals happen to you, you're not growing and thriving. Goal number one is the unity of the faith. Now, what does that mean? It simply means this. That you as individuals know your Bible, and we all in the church hold the major topics and themes of the Bible together in harmony. Now, there could be some small differences of opinion about different things. I understand that. But that basically, the unity of faith is that we know the Word of God, and we hold the major tenets of the Bible together in harmony in this church. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there's a famine of the word in the land these days. There's a lot of Christians who do not know their Bible. I fear it might even be in this church. 42% of you is fine that you're in every day. But more and more of you need to be in every day because we need to know the word and hold it together. There was a test done a while back uh, about uh, how much people, Christians, know their Bibles. It was an abysmal failure, the result about how many people didn't know what the Bible taught. In fact, on this test, there were Christians who said, basically, that Sodom and Gomorrah were brothers and sisters and the epistles were the wives of the apostles. <laughs> That's kind of bad, you know? If you don't know the word and hold the word together in basic agreement, it won't be long until the church is acting like a bunch of babies instead of grown adults. 
So the first thing that's so important is that we know the word and we hold the word together in harmony about its major teachings. So important. The second goal is not just to know the word and hold it together. is the knowledge of the Son of God. Now, did you know that it's not only important just to know the word, it's to know the Jesus in the Bible? Did you know that? I mean, there's lots of people who know the word. I'm glad to know that. But we got to get even beyond the word to know the author, to know the person of the word, Jesus Christ. And that's what this is all about. Paul is saying that we need a knowledge, and the word in the Greek is a full knowledge, a full knowledge of the Son of God, which is Jesus Christ. And so, you know, I am glad for every person who's born again. And that is so important. It's the difference between your eternal destinies. And I'm so glad that born-again people know Jesus was born on Christmas and that he was raised again on Easter. But we need to go further into that. We need to walk with the Lord on a daily basis. We need to get his heart. We need to be in prayer with him and, 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 and in the road of living life while we understand that he's at our side and that we understand how he thinks and how he would act and who he is and even to the point of being able to prove that he's the son of God from the word of God. This full knowledge that is so important about Jesus Christ. And my fear is there are few people who are walking in the full knowledge of Jesus Christ every day, and yet that has to happen for a church to thrive. But there's a third maturity goal we see here. It's called a mature man. And the translators of the English Standard Version weren't trying to tick off the ladies here, I'm pretty sure. Uh, They could have said a mature person. It means that you are growing to completeness and age appropriateness to where your walk is with Jesus Christ. So that if you're walking with Christ for 20 years, you're further down the road than somebody who is one year, but for one year you're growing at your appropriate rate and we're all thriving together. But coming to this complete person, this mature person, and that your goal is the measure, which says in verse 13, of the statue that that belongs to Christ. Put in simple terms. A Christian who is maturing is behaving more and more the way Christ lived and behaved. That's how you measure maturity. Is my life live like what Christ would do? Am I making the decisions? Am I behaving and doing the things that Christ would do if he were living in me? And guess what? As a Christian, he is living in you. So these are goals for all of us. If we call Christ our Savior, if we call Old North our home. These are our goals together. And if you are making progress in the unity of faith, if you are making progress in the full knowledge of knowing Christ, if you are making progress in behaving more and more like Christ into a mature person, you're going to be thriving. And if you're thriving, then the church is going to be thriving as well. Every four years, I take a tour of people over to Israel. And I have a goal that we all attain the trip that we talked about here, that word attain is to arrive there and then come home together. And then the goals for the trip, which are very, very important and profound goals that we have that, that, we, that we would uh, uh, all arrive at those goals together. So what we do is we give everybody on the trip, there's usually about 30 to 35 of us, we give them all a number at the beginning of the trip. And I'm always number one, Marie's always number two. And so when we get on the bus, then I go, one. And Marie goes, two, and we're waiting for number three and four. We get down to number 12. Where's 12? Where's 12? Oh, 12 wasn't listening. Okay, 12, 13. We're going there. If 12 isn't there, guess what we're doing? We are scrambling 
to find where 12 is because we want 12 to arrive at the destination and have the same goals we all have and it's not going to be good if we leave 12 behind in the dust. You know how often I thought that I wish the church was just like a tour bus and that I'm number one, Marie's number two, you're number three, you're number four, you're number eight, you're number 20 and everything and every Sunday, one, two, three, four, hey, we're 76. Anybody know about 76? Do you know if they're okay? What's going on in their life? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's how real this ought to be because the word of God says till we all attain to these goals together. And I don't want this church to ever be a church that is failing to thrive because I'll tell you what, I'm going to feel like a grandpa when the little girl's brought to me and she's my little one-year-old Lizzie and say, you know what, she's fallen way behind. We're going to do something for Lizzie and we want to do something with you too, Okay. Which leads me to condition number three I can only touch on. Our church must recognize the threats to thriving spiritual growth. Do you know something? If you aren't growing as an individual, if the church is not growing as a body, we are all open to threats that are going to really hurt us. And, and Paul is talking about that here in verse 14. Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But we all know that children are gullible, and that's what Paul's talking about here. And so he talks about the danger zone of not growing. He says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. If you are not growing, you will be susceptible to wrong doctrine. You'll be susceptible to people on the airwaves who are selling the wrong kind of Christianity. You'll be susceptible to people in your life who are going to bring you down and you're going to believe the philosophies of this world and humanism and all other kinds of things that are out there and it's going to play a number on you. And Paul says that can't happen. He uses imagery here in the Greek that's though these people will spin you around like wind on the water to the point of nausea of seasickness. Or the people who are cunning in your life, who are, the idea in the Greek is they're going to trick you at a game of dice. This stuff is high stakes. And the outcome, my friend, not only will you not grow, you'll be swallowing wrong doctrine, you'll be following bad leaders, and you'll be behaving in sinful ways that can destroy you. And when you should be looking like an adult, you'll be looking like a sick, frail child. I want to say something I've discovered about the elders of our church in the last six months. I love this. I'm glad to tell you this. They're very tuned in to verse 14 about these winds of deceit and trickery and being very vulnerable. And, and, and they're watching the congregation as though there could be a, a, an attack of Satan against us in any way. And so they're very concerned as to what is preached from the Word of God here on the, in the pulpit. They're very concerned what's, teach in, what's taught in the classes around here. They're watching that on the radar, they're looking for this kind of thing that it will not invade Old North Church. And they're doing what Hebrews 13 and chapter 17 says. They are keeping watch over your souls. Does that sound good? That's the way it is. They're watching so that this will not happen in our church. Condition number four, I can only touch on it. Our church must deploy the agents of thriving spiritual growth. Who are the agents of spiritual growth in the church? I told you that a while ago under condition one. You are the agents of spiritual growth in the church. 
Every one of you is part of what makes the church grow together. It's not in the lap of the pastor teacher. It's not in the lap of a few spiritual people in the church. The word of God says here that if the church is going to thrive, it is because everybody has the vision to grow individually and together so that the body would be built up under the headship of Jesus Christ. And so verses 15 and 16 are so important. It's talking about how this happens. And verse 15 says that Jesus is the head of the church. You know what that means? He's the boss. He directs things. And so here's how this happens in verse 15. When each member has a good relationship with the head, the head now is able to tell each member what it ought to do in the body. And so when it tells you what to do in the body, you're serving the the part of the body next to you. And it says the whole church then is built up in love. And so the important thing to understand is this. A church grows when the people do the ministry. And the people do the ministry as they individually grow in Christ and as the pastors and teachers initiate them in their own spiritual health through the Word of God. And then as God places each person in the body here at Old North next to somebody else, they start ministering good works to people around them. And the church thrives in health. And my appeal to you is this. Having understood this, and I hope you do, condition number four, that you are the agents of growth, is that every one of you would take responsibility for your own spiritual growth and say, you are going to grow. Say, I am going to grow. And that you taking that on as a personal project then would also say, and I'm going to serve others around me. I'm going to be open and looking for how I can help other people in this church. Then the church will grow spiritually. And my appeal to you is don't be a reason that this church won't grow spiritually. Don't be a reason. Don't be a person that says, yeah, I don't need that. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to come and I'm not going to really. You need to be involved in this or the church won't grow. And so, for the rest of my time, this is my vision. This is my heart. That everybody would have this, like, number. And that you would be growing because you're number 100, you're number 300, you're number 450, whatever it might be. And that because you're on the bus here at Old North, you will be serving other people as well. And this church will be thriving. In fact, we're calling this emphasis growing up together. You're going to see this over the next number of months. It comes right out of this text. It's a call to thrive spiritually here at Old North. A call that says we're not going to be happy, we won't be settled at all if people aren't thriving spiritually. And so I'm asking every regular attender, I'm asking everyone who calls themselves part of Old North Church to do what Paul says to do. That you will become involved and put your hands in the middle and say, I'm going to be part of this church, and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to be part of this church, and I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve other people. And if you will do that, I want you to let us know that in two weeks. I didn't want to come here today and say, I'm going to preach a sermon, and now you get the pressure of signing up for this. In two weeks, I want you to come back saying, I want to grow, and I want to serve. I want to grow, and I want to serve. And if you are willing to do that, guess what? This church will thrive. This church will not be underdeveloped. It'll be an awesome thing, and I pray that that will happen. Now, I wanted to end my sermon this way, and it wasn't possible. I wanted my little three-year-old granddaughter from Erie to be here. And I'll tell you what was on my mind as I prepared all week long. I wanted to be up here 
and I wanted Lizzie to be over there, and I wanted little Lizzie to come up running up to her grandfather's arms. And I wanted to pick her up, and I wanted to say, here's Lizzie today. Lizzie's thriving. She still has a few things to catch up, but man, is she thriving. She's beautiful. And there's Lizzie. She's on my lap. She's the little one kind of playing the clown. And then she's, there's another picture of Lizzie up there, is there? Yeah, there she is. And, and she's with my other, one of my other granddaughters, and, and they're in the malt shop or something there having a good time. She's thriving. You know what? I want that for you. I never want this church to come close to the diagnosis of failure to thrive. I want this church and for the rest of my ministry to be experiencing Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. I want to see everyone in this church growing up together. Everyone, no exceptions. Because my friends, according to the word of God, that's the only way this church will thrive. Is that if everybody who calls himself a Christian and part of this church will be growing. And will be growing together. And will be serving one another. And then we will be thriving before the Lord. We've come to a time of response. And the response today that God has laid on my heart is the reality is that I'm still in the storm. And the reality that a number of you are still in the storm. And so I want you to fly like an eagle again today. I want you to stand right now. And if you are in the storm, I'm going to ask you once again to join me in the front because I need to be an eagle again this week. And some of you need to be an eagle because you are in a storm. You are in a struggle. And for some of you, it's almost about to take you down and out. And the devil wants that to happen to you. God doesn't. He wants to lift you up. And so today, I want to pray for you. If you are in the storm, I want you again to be an eagle. I want you to rise up, to mount up with the eagle's wings. I want you to come forward here. And is this song so appropriate to what we're going to sing to where you might be? You just come and then I will pray. And we'll be eagles together for another week. Is that good enough? Is that fair enough? You come as we sing.